I want to look into a passage in the 12th chapter of Romans this evening. and It's good to read the whole chapter, but I'm going to leave that to you in your own private devotions in the interest of time. I want to read verses 4 through 8 and then consider some of the things that we find here that should be indeed applied by us if the Lord Himself is our Savior and we begin to realize the wonders of His grace and uh, our relationship and our responsibilities to each other. In Romans chapter 12 and verses 4 through 8, the Apostle Paul writes, For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, the word office there is dealing with function, uh, what we do, what we have the ability to do, uh, not particularly an office uh, officially in the church. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and everyone members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. When God created this universe, he, incre he created it in incredible diversity. And yet all of this diversity works together and uh, marvelously together in creation, which shows an unseen hand that directs all the movements from the least to the greatest. Of course, we know that in creation, sin brought disruption. It disrupted the whole world and nature itself then appears to rebel against man. We see it sometimes in the weather. We see it in the things that happen in this world. Still, there remains sun, moon, and uh, land, sea, air, great roaming animals, yet undiscovered amphibians, incredible diversity in beauty and the multitude of differing flowers, trees, some for fruit, some for shade. We have incredible diversity in creation in a multitude of ways. And uh, it is wondrous indeed. And the demonstration here is that God does love diversity. Unity in diversity. A true unity among men, no matter how much that unity might be sought, was lost and can never again be regained permanently by nature, by man in sin. As a matter of fact, what we find about man in sin is that he is a, later, a hater. He is dangerous. Man in sin, of course, disrupts this unity among men. 
And uh, no matter how men endeavor to bring it about, it can never last. When man turned from the living God, when man turned to himself, when he made himself center, he became independent of the only true source from which could flow a connected oneness in human diversity. He moved from the only source by which this unity could be maintained. And so we can look at, we can look at history and let wars between nations or internal strifes within nations or rebellions against legitimate authority in all forms and even the breakup of families and many more things to give us witness of what sin has done in disrupting this unity. You see, independence from God brings self-isolation. And self-isolation issues into self-exaltation, the pride of life, as John would speak of it in 1 John 2. And this separates men from men. This is the outcome of the operation of sin. And if ever true unity is attained, there has to be unifying, a unifying force, a unifying factor, an underlying energy that causes the constituent parts, for instance, we know even in natural thinking, of a mechanism or an organism to work harmoniously together in moving all the differing parts to a single purpose. Engineers know about that. Many differing parts to, to those engines and so forth that are put together, all having to work together for one single purpose. Of course, we know the same is true in the human body, which is used by the Apostle Paul as a metaphor here, teaching on the use of God-given gifts for the good of the whole church. And as the saying goes, charity begins at home, so there is no possibility of unity in the whole body of Christ if it doesn't begin in the church to which one belongs. So it must begin among us. The human body and its different but connected members supplies the illustration in what the regenerate church should be. Of course, we know when we read the New Testament epistles, that still we have conflicts, still we have the flesh to contend with, still we have those things which call for correction in ourselves. And so we have the ideals given in Scripture, and then we have the way that these things, and the only way that these things can be worked out among us. So again, we have here the human body and its connected members that illustrates what the church should be and is to be. So the apostle writes in verse 4, For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. In the epistle to the Corinthians, Paul writes, The body is one and hath many members. So what the apostle in our passage is doing before he gives a list of some different gifts that are given to each member of the body of Christ, 
is to show the one life that must permeate the whole. And he does so with these key words in Christ. Essential words in Christ. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ. And every one members one of another. There is in the human body itself a mystery of union. And I'll explain what I'm talking about. There's an unseen and there's an underlying source that makes the body not only one in composition, but one in operation, one in movement. What's that called? The scripture calls it the soul, the unseen part. And without it, the body wouldn't be anything but a lifeless lump of clay. There's a unity of soul and body. There's a life that comes only from God. And it lies behind all the unity of the body's differing parts. This life called the soul. Adam, of course, would have remained lifeless. He would have been but a lump of intricately created parts, but still just a lump of clay. Had not one thing been done, one only, after his body was created, as we learn from Genesis in God's creation, God breathed into him the breath of life. And man became a living soul. We call it a mystery because however it may be learned of how brain and nerves work together, the brain does not work without the soul. Emotions, will, hands, feet, all that moves and works together, moving to a unified function, is amazing and wondrous. And yet there's no scalpel, there's no microscopic investigation that could ever find the mystery of life that constitutes the soul of man. Life. All life comes from God. And no man can explain the mystery of being. Life comes only from God. I remember, I don't remember the passage I was studying, but I looked up a passage and began reading some of the commentators and I can remember some of the things that stand out to me. I said, that, that's a tremendous statement and quite revealing. I remember reading a statement from John Gill one time. And John Gill makes the statement that if man could create a living fly, he could create a world. But he can't. It's impossible for man to produce life. Life, of course, comes from God and God only. And so, concerning the true and living body of Christ, another observed, we may expect an equally solemn mystery to rest upon that which makes out of separate individuals, one living body. 
animated with the life and moved by the Spirit of the indwelling Christ. That's quite an important statement. If a church is to function as a church in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, it must be through the inward movement of the life of Christ, of the Spirit of the indwelling Christ. If ever true unity is to be attained, if ever all the varied and differing endowments given to and among us are to work together in harmony to God's glory and the strengthening of the tie that binds, then it must be through our mutual submission to God, through that faith that unites us to the Lord Jesus Christ. As in verse 5, we, being many, are one body in Christ, and everyone members one of another. Not only is Christ our Savior, not only is our, He our ruling head, He is our organic head. That is, He is our life. He is our life so that though we all who are in Christ have differing gifts, everyone who is in Christ has a gift or gifts. We all have differing gifts, yet we have the very same life. Christ in you. Christ in you. Christ, we read in Scripture, who is our life. Who alone can say, I am the life. He is the life. Our newness of life is His life in us. So that with the Apostle Paul and every regenerate believer, it is blessed when we can in truth say and know Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. The only way, and none other, by which unity may be realized among us, as in the great truth, that if the Lord Jesus Christ fills us by his Spirit, and he is our life, the Lord's declaration is because I live, ye shall live also. And Paul, of course, in Colossians chapter 3, he writes, Your life is hid with God, or hid with Christ in God. When we possess saving faith, because we were brought both to the cross and to the empty tomb, and we participate in both the cross and the empty tomb or the living Christ. We not only become separated from the fallen world by the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and through that cross and when the work of God takes place in us, we can say with Paul, by whom I am crucified to the world and the world to me. But we come through the cross to trust the living Christ, to trust He who died for our sins, and uh, so that we no longer live unto ourselves, but unto Him who died for us, as Paul writes in Romans 14, and rose again, who lives. And uh, <clears throat> we no longer then are to follow the ways of the world. We're to live unto our God. We're to live unto Him and the only way we do so is through Christ. 
in the sixth chapter, verses 10 and 11, for in that he died, Christ, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon you also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We had this devotion for the young people last week, last Monday evening, and uh, gave a personal testimony to them before we went into a devotion. And when God began calling me to the ministry, it was such a time that I was totally engulfed with the great thought that Christ had died for me and the gloriousness of the glory of divine grace and love behind it. I couldn't. I didn't want to get it out of my mind or my heart. I woke up with it. I went to bed with it. It was in me all day long. This gloriousness that such a sinner as me, Christ, died for me. He took my place. He bore my sins. He loved me and gave himself for me. I couldn't get away from that. And I didn't want to get away from that. No matter what I did, this was what engulfed my thoughts and my heart. And of course, that's when also the Lord began working in me toward calling me to the ministry. But what a glorious thing it is when our hearts are brought to Him and stayed upon Him. When we are never away from the great truth that He loved me and gave Himself for me, that He bore all the wrath of God that I deserve. And that he brought me to God, cleansed, completely free from the condemnation of sin. I can't get away from that yet, and I don't want to. How about you? If you believe on Christ in truth, coming to and trusting him alone to save you, if you're brought into union with the death and resurrection of Christ, he who lives then the very same life is the life of regeneration and the life that is in your soul. Christ liveth in me. That is a profound thing. You are then in Christ. In the realm of newness of life. Eternal life. A life shared by everyone who by faith sees the Son and believes on Him. With all the differing abilities that God distributes among believers, those who are in Christ, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is alone what constitutes the unity of the body. His life is what constitutes it just as our soul constitutes and brings together the unity of this physical body. It's the life of Christ in us. Yes, I know, that calls for a regenerate church membership, indeed. And that's a rare thing. And yet that is the unifying factor. So, if you turn over to 1 Corinthians, next epistle, Chapter 12, <clears throat> you read in verses 4 through 7,
Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith, etc., by the same Spirit. It's all because of the life of Christ in us. So, true unity cannot be based upon outward organization or uniformity of opinion. I've never met two people who had the same opinions on everything without any exception. It can't be based upon uniformity of opinion, ritual, or common purpose. A true unity in a true church can only come <clears throat> from mutual union of the life of Christ in each believer. And without the transcendent life in Christ, be there never so much knowledge, so much social activity, so many wonderful works, so many impressive religious ceremonies, yet there's nothing more than a dead carcass that's there. The other church that I pastored so many years ago it didn't take me very long to realize it was not built upon the true salvation that's in Christ. It was not built upon the true manifestation of regeneration. It was a social situation. It was simply social. And of course, I think the reason they called me for pastor was because I was so very young they thought they could... You know, they could just manipulate me and, and mold me into what they wanted me to be. It didn't work out that way. Because I was called of God, called of Christ to proclaim His truth. And I didn't fear them. I, my fear is of God. And we had some really difficult times there. Because the church was a social organization rather than a regenerate church in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, how many to whom the Lord could say, as he did to the church of Sardis, I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. How many that could be said to? I don't know. I hope it could never be said to this one. If ever there is a true unity, that unity must flow from union to Christ only. Union to Him alone. And the more He is sought, the more we know of Him, the more closely we follow Him, the more fervently our hearts seek Him and His Word, the more blessed will be that unity, reality, in unity. There must be 
a true spiritual fellowship and a common faith that comes from a common life. A genuine knowing of Christ and hearts that yearn to know more and more of Him and to become more and more like Him. If ever we are to truly grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, then we have to mark it down that without this transcendent life governing all of our relationship to each other, none of the following gifts listed by the Apostle Paul in this chapter could operate among us to the good of the whole church. None of them could operate properly. If we learn simply for the sake of learning and not learn how to serve one another in humility, then our learning will become detrimental. Even our learning can become divisive and more and more self-isolating. Because human pride will get involved. And when human pride is involved, it's divisive. It's destructive. It's self-centered. It's self-isolating. So we must learn to care for one another and to serve one another even as the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippians to esteem each other above ourselves. As he writes in Philippians 2 verse 3, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. I mean, I can think about that. Man not going to do that by nature. Man self-centered. He wants to be on the top. He wants to be something. He's not willing to re relinquish something to somebody else and say, well, they're better than me. Uh, and so I got to thinking, who would do that? I think the person that would do that is a person who has really come under a conviction for sin and they know what they are by nature. And they know the great distance that they were from God. And they know what they deserve from Him. And yet the glory of the wonders of His grace that was displayed before them in the Christ who died for their sins in the giving of the Son of God to redeem them. And uh, if one really knows what they are by nature, they're not going to put themselves on a pedestal. They're going to esteem others even better than themselves. So, <clears throat> true unity is not everybody alike. but rather differing functions within the same organism. As again in verses 4 and 5, For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and everyone members one of another. Well, to begin with, Contextually, the Apostle is showing us how to prevent that which can become self-destructive and destructive to our relationship with each other. That old horrendous thing that entered the heart of Lucifer and then the human race 
through his temptation called pride. So the apostle writes in Romans 12 verses 3 through 5, For I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. In other words, and the faith he's speaking of here is inclusive of what God has given us as far as gifts and abilities to minister to one another. It doesn't come from us, it comes from him. <laughs> it's not something that we come up with in ourselves by nature, for sure. It's given to us by God. Everything we have is a gift from God. Every breath we take in this world is a gift from God. Every good thing we have is from Him. Every good gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, as in James 1, I think, verse 17. Everything we have, and spiritually, the life we have, we did not earn it. God gave it to us freely by His grace through redeeming us with the blood of His Son. And everything that He gives us by His Holy Spirit that enables us to minister to one another has come from Him. How could we think then more highly of ourselves? We didn't produce it. We didn't bring it about. He gives it to us by grace. By divine gift, everything that we have comes from Him. So, <clears throat> it is to understand that from the Lord we receive what we have. Our gifts are not given for our use only then they're given for the harmonious harmonious good of the whole body it is the lord who puts us together and he makes us dependent one upon the other if that dependency is not known generally people aren't going to stay in a genuine church they will seek things for themselves and it's very interesting. They'll want to put in their two cents in things, but the, most of the time the ones who give the least and do the least and care the least about others end up causing more trouble than others. It's something, of course, that has been experienced for many of the saints through the years. We're here. We're to be here not simply for ourselves. We're here for each other. I'm here for you. You're here for each other. The Lord has put us together. He makes us dependent upon each other. So that we must understand we need each other. I remember uh, Hubert Davis and um, of course I spoke with him in many conferences. Dear soul, you remember You'll remember what he what he preached, Carolyn. He said, uh, the church might not need me. He said, but I need the church. <laughs> I need the church. We need each other. And no matter how much soever we're unable to do, however that may differ, we're none of us to consider ourselves more important than the other. None. 
And in this regard, it's better said by Paul. If we look over again into 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And that which our Lord gave to him to write here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And verses 18 through 27. The Apostle writes, But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body, as it hath pleased him. That's a sovereign work of God. When God sovereignly brings us together, and God sovereignly brings us into the body, that's his work. That's what he does. As it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? We can't all be heads. We can't all be arms. We can't all be legs. Is what Paul is saying metaphorically here. But now are they many members, yet but one body. All have a different function. All of the members of our physical body have different purposes. The eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. Well, you'll notice that the eye looks down upon the hand. Nor again, the hand to the feet, I have no need of you. Well, the hand is above the feet. You see, this problem of pride is horrendous. Matter of fact, the apostle was correcting that at Corinth. There were those who were wealthy. And there were those who were poor. Those who were in need. And the wealthy was ignoring them. Looking down upon them. Nay, much more, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need. But God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. That there should be no schism, no division in the body. But that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. There is a true unity that's to be in the church of Jesus Christ. The only place that is true in this world, really. No one considering themselves more important than anyone else in the congregation. Then many of the gifts, whether speaking gifts of exhorting or comforting one another or helping gifts, so these ministering gifts are helping gifts, and alleviating the burden of another, they're to be done without sometimes even realizing it. There are some that are so giving they don't realize they're ex exercising a gift, but they are. And, uh, and the left hand doesn't always know what the right hand is doing. If you're on uh, the giving end, it's Christ who enabled you to give. To give of yourself. To give of your means to help another. If you're on the receiving end, it's Christ through the church who's met your need.
That's to be considered. The most important thing is not the gift. It's what governs the giving. And if what governs the giving is the tie that binds the life and the love of Christ in you, then only will there be a true unity in the church. A peaceful and harmonious moving together for the good of the whole body. As Paul says in Ephesians 4, in the bond of peace. And as in Colossians 3, he characterizes the true elect of God, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved. Bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness, mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body. And be you thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. So, <clears throat> there's to be great diversity. There are differing gifts. But all moving for the good of the whole, cemented together by the bond of love that's in Christ. There's absolutely no other way for unity to be in or remain in the church. But here in our passage in Romans chapter 12, there is a rather remarkable expression, it would seem, in verse 5, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 5, we would expect here to read that we're members of the body. <laughs> But what Paul is given to write is that we are members one of another. Members one of another. Individuality we all lack. So this is to merge into our consideration for one another. We have individual gifts but eternal life is the possession of all we have the same life we possess all the gifts and graces that are needed for the corporate body so that the church is to work together as a body and all of its parts the contribution of every member that makes the body healthy the body is only whole as all members do their part and in doing so affect every other member. This is true, of course, in nature. It's true in every mechanism or organism. And the church is not a group of simply separate individuals seeking their own things. Where that's the case, that always causes problems. But an organism 
alive in Christ that seeks the good of the whole body. And the one thing that all the members are to possess, operating in the whole, the practice of which is to govern every part, is what Paul wrote in Ephesians 4, verses 15 and 16. Speaking the truth in love. That we may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. This is to govern the church. Seldom does it really do so, and never we think in this world in perfection. But it will in eternity. There's a wondrousness that's going to be experienced forever by the saints totally different from the natural man or those who die in sin who shall spend an eternity in hell in hate in vicious hate one to another it's a solemn thing but the saints will love one another because that love will flow forth from the Lord Jesus himself And that love will be so manifested that it will be a unity and union and blessedness that we cannot fully comprehend now. But we should get a taste of it in the local church. We should get a taste of it among ourselves. Mutual dependence upon each other. The truth that we need one another. And this does not take from the primary truth that our dependence is only upon Christ. To use the Lord's own metaphor. We're like branches that grow out of one tree. We are all dependent upon the Lord only for the life we possess and for the fruit we bear for whatever we have and can give for each other and only as we continue in him will, will we be useful to one another and contribute to the well-being of the whole so the Lord says I am the vine ye are branches he that abideth in me and I in him the same bringeth forth much fruit for without me ye can do nothing and then, of course, there's another metaphor used by Paul, that of the marriage union. This is a loving union. And this love is to operate also among the saints. The marriage union in Scripture is to be a loving union. And we learn in John's epistle that we cannot have and exercise a true love toward our Lord if we don't toward each other. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he's a liar. We know that we've passed from death unto life. Why? Because we love the brethren. 
And so may through the life of the Lord Jesus Christ abiding in us, may the love of Christ be exercised among us. Then whether we have ten talents or whether we have one talent, all will be used by the union of each other in Christ and to the well-being of the whole church. So we'll continue looking further in this passage, Lord willing, this coming Lord's Day. And uh, it's very important, these things, to be understood. <clears throat>